Hey, if you have your Bible today, uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 22, 1 Kings chapter 22, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, if you've been with us uh, for a while, uh, you have uh, known that we've been going through the life of Elijah, and uh, the, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was a burly dude, he was a dude that stood up for what was right, he was a dude that stood up for what God had for him. So John Paul, I'm going to ask that uh, I could have that remote again so I can click through some slides. As you come up, though, uh, I encourage you to go to 1 Kings chapter 22. If you don't have a paper Bible, that's okay. Uh, go to the YouVersion Bible app. Thanks, John Paul. And you can go to the More tab, then Events, and then you can find all the stuff that you normally find in your paper bulletin along with all the scripture right there. 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, this is a unique uh, passage in this uh, sermon series, at least. This passage doesn't even include Elijah, but Elijah's arch nemesis, Ahab. Ahab, remember, is an evil king. In 1 Kings chapter 16, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any other king that came before him. This dude is evil. This dude does wrong in the sight of the Lord. And we will finally see his demise here in 1 Kings chapter 22. So uh, because this has been Elijah's arch nemesis, I know this passage doesn't specifically include Elijah, but he is just so integral to Elijah's story that I thought, man, we have to include the fall of King Ahab. So follow along here. I will warn you, parts of this passage are difficult to read and hear. And so a little bit of a viewer discretion here is advised, but uh, we'll go right into it. This is God's word. It says this. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet and do nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as are your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord, of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, but the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Again, King Ahab is a big baby. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chananah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. When he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? 
And he answered to him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it in the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And so he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab? that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed and go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, the Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on the day when you go into the inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, uh, to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned and fought against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around, carry me out of battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot, and at about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city, every man to his country. So the king died, and he was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab, and all that he did, and the ivory house that he built, and the cities that he built, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his father, and Isaiah his son reigned in his place. We're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture today, this passage of God's Word. We're going to take a look at it see what it means for us today. Before we do that, though, as always, would you just go before the Lord in prayer 
and ask him for his help with that with me. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you so much for your good, your perfect word, that we can rely on it, that we can build our lives upon it. And Father, I pray that as we talk about this, um, this hard passage, the fall of Ahab, the fall of an evil king, who did evil in your sight, who turned away from you, who worshipped idols and encouraged others to worship idols as well. Lord, I pray that we would learn from these mistakes. I pray that we wouldn't repeat them in our own lives. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you give us wisdom? Would you guide us as, as, as we try and live our lives the best way that we can according to the word of the Lord, that we may glorify him in all that we do? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, anybody like watching football? I know it's not football season. I got a couple of football fans. Okay. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed watching football growing up. I have kids now, and uh, it's not very enjoyable to watch a football game with kids screaming all over the place and climbing up all over you. And so I haven't watched football in a long time other than the Super Bowl because that's just fun to watch. But uh, I remember growing up, I was a Colts fan. And uh, it, when I was a teenager, Peyton Manning, man, he was the man. I mean, Tom Brady, I'm sorry, holds nothing to Peyton Manning, will never hold anything to Peyton Manning in my book. Peyton Manning is always the best quarterback of all time. And I remember watching him, and he had this great coach, Tony Dungy. He's a believer. He wrote some books, and he's just a cool dude. But I remember him uh, with an interview with Tony Dungy, and they were asking Peyton, they said, Peyton, how do you do it? I mean, it's almost like you can anticipate the defense, when, when, the, when the opposing team has defense, it's almost like you know exactly what play they're going to run, and you, you run the perfect play that just is right around their defense, and you go and score. How do you do it, Peyton? And he said, it's very simple. I watch the other team's tapes. I watch video of their games over and over and over and over, and he studies them, and he studies how the other team, his opponents, would play against him, and therefore he can beat them and defeat them. You know, here in this passage, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of what we're getting. This is the enemy's plays here that we are seeing. We get a glimpse of heaven. We get a glimpse of what the enemy wants to do to thwart God's will. We get a glimpse of how the enemy leads Ahab away. And again, Ahab's an evil king. He did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any other king that came before him. This dude is an evil dude. He's been led by the devil himself, and he's married to an evil queen who has led him astray even further. So, we're going to take a look at this passage, and we're going to look at some of the enemy's tactics here and how we can avoid them as well. Before we do that, though, I want to show you the glimpse of heaven that we get and the enemy who is enticing Ahab. And that may sound a little bit weird to you. It sounds a little bit weird to me as well. This is one of those rare passages that we see the throne room. That's not rare in and of itself, right? We, we see God in heaven. That's fairly common throughout Scripture. But what's not is this. Take, take a look here. It says that Micaiah, remember, this is the guy, one of the prophets in Israel. He's actually speaking the truth to King Ahab. There's 400 evil prophets. This is the one guy who's willing to stand up, who's got the guts to say, hey, don't do this. The Lord doesn't want you to do this. This is wrong what you're doing. And he says this, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, the host of heaven, standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. This is pretty normal so far. This is where it gets interesting, though. It says, the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Now, this is interesting to me because we have the Lord 
holy of holies, on his holy throne, sovereign, good, mighty God, saying, who will entice Ahab to do evil that he may have his downfall? This is kind of weird if you ask me. God is literally asking, hey, who's going to do this so that we can take Ahab out and who's going to lead him to do even more evil in order to do that? You might ask yourself, so is the Lord using evil to take out Ahab? Well, it says this, one said one thing and another said another. You might be asking, who is that? Who are the people talking? Uh, By just looking at this verse, you might think, are are they angels? Are they heavenly hosts of some sort? Uh, We're not exactly sure, but the next verse kind of sums it up for us. It says, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. This is one of those rare passages where we have evil spirits before the Lord saying, this is what I will do. And the Lord allows for these evil spirits. It's not the Lord's will that does this, but it is his allowance that allows for these evil spirits to go forth and commit evil acts. The book of Job is another good example of this. They're rare in scripture, but the book of Job also has this. At the beginning, the evil one, the enticer, the deceiver goes before the Lord and says, Job only loves you because why? He has everything going for him. He has nothing going wrong in his life. And so the Lord says, I will allow for you to do evil in his life, to destroy uh, all of that, the things that he has built up in order that it is a test. And so occasionally, God is sovereign here. Oh, he's always sovereign, but occasionally he will allow for evil to happen. This just completely destroys the health and wealth gospel, right? That says, hey, if you love Jesus, everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies and nothing ever is going to go wrong in your life. That's just simply not the case. There are evil things that happen in life. There are troubling times that happen in life. And for King Ahab, he's kind of done it to himself. But for somebody like Job, he did nothing to deserve that, and yet it happened all the same. This passage shows us that God is not only sovereign over the good things, he's sovereign over all things, including demonic activity. And he will allow certain things to happen for our good and for his glory. And that may sound kind of weird. That sounds kind of strange to us. And it is. It's difficult to understand. But listen, if God wasn't difficult to understand, he wouldn't be worth worshiping. We serve an almighty, powerful God. And his ways are higher than our ways, as Lamentations would put it. And so it's sometimes difficult to understand what God is doing, why he does the things that he does. But he's God. And so, obviously, in our finite minds, it's difficult to understand some of the things that he does. And that's okay. We can grapple with those things. He goes on to say, the Lord said, by what means? And he says, I'll go out and be a lying spirit in all the mouth of its prophets. And uh, he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Here's what I want to point out in this. It's not God lying. It's not God deceiving. It's God allowing a demonic force to entice the prophets, these 400 prophets, into Ahab's destruction. And again, Ahab has led himself to this. He has uh, put himself in evil. God has been kind to him. Remember back in uh, chapter 20, verse 13, he's facing the king of Syria. They're going up in a war, and the Lord says this to him through one of his prophets. He says, I will give you victory so that you may know that I am Lord. God has been so kind and merciful to Ahab. However, Ahab has continually 
went away from that. He's continually worshipped idols. He's continually led other people to worship idols as well. And so he gets these 400 prophets around him. And uh, what leads up to this is, remember, Israel is in two parts. So we have the northern kingdom. This is where Ahab is. This is the vast majority. It's the ten tribes of Israel up there. The southern kingdom, they call Judah. There's only two tribes down there. Judah and Benjamin are down there. And so these two kings meet up. And they say, hey, remember back in, in chapter 20, three years ago, we had this war with, uh, with Syria, and, and, and we were supposed to get this city. We made amends with them, which, by the way, Ahab shouldn't have done. He disobeyed the Lord uh, in doing that. They made amends with Syria, and so uh, the, Assyria did not keep their, uh, uh, their end of the deal here. They kept one of the cities they shouldn't have. And so the king of Judah from the south is saying, hey, we, we got to enforce this. This has been years going on. They haven't left. we got to kick them out. And so uh, the, the king of Israel, Ahab, he goes, yeah, let's do it. So Jehoshaphat says first, though, let's inquire uh, 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 of, of the word of the Lord here first. Jehoshaphat, uh, just a little background knowledge, he's the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. He's a pretty good guy. He loves the Lord. He's got some faults. He's got some downfalls here. This is one of them. He's a pretty good king overall, but one of his downfalls is this chapter right here in chapter 22. He, he goes to the king and he says, hey, let's inquire for the, the word of the Lord first. That's a good thing that he's doing. And so they inquire the word of the Lord. They get the 400 prophets up and they all say, hey, listen, it's a good go up for the Lord. We'll give it into the hand of the king. Remember, this is the enticing spirit that is causing them to say this. And Jehoshaphat, because he's a pretty good guy, he says, man, this just doesn't seem right. This seems kind of off, right? I mean, all these 400 people, these 400 prophets of the Lord, they seem like they're, they're saying the things from the Lord, but something feels a little bit off. And he says this, is there not another prophet of the Lord by whom we may inquire? And it says that Ahab, the king, uh, the king here, he says, there is another man. He's such a baby about it. He says, there is another man, but he always says evil. You know, he just doesn't like me. It's, this, I get like the picture. Um, my wife is a high school teacher, and sometimes uh, she says that um, some of her students don't always like her. Um, it's the students that don't do any work, and she has to flunk, right? And she's like, well, you did it to yourself. I kind of feel like that's, what, that's what's happening here. It's like a little baby saying, I don't like the teacher. And you're like, well, yeah, I had to flunk you because you didn't do any of the homework, right? This is what's happening here. He's saying, I don't know, he always speaks evil against me. Why is he doing that? I don't know, probably because you're a stinking evil king, Ahab. So look at this. It says he doesn't like Micaiah, but because Jehoshaphat is here, he's saying, hey, well, let's hear from him. Let's, let's hear from him here. And man, Micaiah, I love this guy. I want to meet him in heaven sometime because he just stands up to everybody and the, the guy comes in and he goes, hey, listen, all these prophets, there's 400 of them, all these prophets are saying that, you know, the king should do that. Why don't you say the same thing, Micaiah? And Micaiah just goes, I'm not going to say anything that the Lord doesn't want me to say. I'm, going, I'm just going to say what God wants me to say. You, you can't force me to do this. Listen, I, I want you to write this down. This is the first lesson I think we learned from this about the enemy's tactics, that we have to abide by God's word no matter what. Listen, there's going to be some times in life where there's 400 to 1. Where 400 people are saying, go and do this. This is fine. And the one person is saying, yeah, but that's not what God's word says. Like Micaiah, he says, I'm going to just say what God tells me to say. I'm going to give you 
God's word here. King Ahab really reminds me of what Paul writes to a young pastor in Timothy, or uh, in Ephesus named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he writes this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Listen to this. There are, is going to be a time, and I actually believe that we're in that time right now, where people will not endure sound teaching, as Paul writes here. They will accumulate a teacher for themselves, and they'll listen to whatever they want to listen to. King Ahab is a good example of this. He listens to whoever he wants to. Micaiah tells him the truth. He goes into battle anyways, and it is his demise. He dies in battle because he will not listen to God. Now, listen, you can find a teacher that will teach you anything. Go on YouTube, and you could, you could type in uh, Bible teaching that tells me that I should divorce my wife. And you will find someone out there that will tell you, go ahead, be happy, uh, divorce her, and uh, that's fine. Listen, but the Bible says that divorce is never God's heart. So listen to this. You can accumulate any teaching that you want, but you have to, you have to abide by God's word no matter what. You know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, I like certain parts of the Bible. There's certain parts that are a little difficult to grapple with, and so I'm just not going to focus on those. In fact, let's just get rid of them. This is what Jesus says about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I want to teach God's word and I want to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to relax it and be called the least of these in the kingdom of heaven. We believe this. 2 Timothy summarizes it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Listen, if someone is teaching something, go to God's word. And as I teach, I want you to go to God's word and, and reconcile that and say, is that true with God's word? That's a good thing. As you hear others teach, listen, go to God's word and say, is that true? Because God's not going to contradict himself. He's a perfect, good, amazing God. And what he says is true. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about gifts of the Spirit. It says, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, look at this, the ability to distinguish spirits. Listen, not everyone who teaches the Bible teaches it correctly. And you have to say, what does Scripture actually say about this? And here's what you need to do too. Go to the Bible and read it. I know, you're like, didn't you just say that? So many people, they want to talk about biblical concepts, right? They want to say, well, the Bible says it here somewhere. The, the Bible says somewhere. Look it up. Read it. Read it for yourself and read it within context and say, this is what God's Word is trying to portray here. This is what God's Word is communicating here. 1 John chapter 4 puts it very well. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
I know that sounds really harsh, but this is what God's Word says. And this is why it's so important to go to God's Word and just say, hey, I need to abide my life by this. Not by popular opinion, not by secular reasoning, but by God's Word. Some people want to say, well, this is what the world says. Uh, There's people in this camp, there's people in that camp, and so I just need to be right in the middle no matter what. Listen, that's not good either. We need to base our beliefs off of God's Word. And when we do... It's a good thing. Jesus says this. He's being tempted as he uh, starts his ministry. He goes out into the wilderness, and the enemy is tempting him. And he answers the enemy by saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number one, we have to live off of God's word, which John 1 tells us the word is Jesus. The word became flesh. They're one and the same. Some people want to pick and choose and they want to say, oh, well, I just want to listen to Jesus's words and I can leave the rest out. You can't separate him. Jesus is the word of God. Secondly, look at this. He's being tempted and what does he do? The words that he says are in quotation marks for a reason. He says them because he's quoting. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. Look at this. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you feel tempted, when you feel like, man, I don't know what to do, go to God's word. One way around temptation is simply to quote God's word. Jesus does it when he's being tempted. This is why scripture always says, hey, we are to, it seems kind of weird sometimes, but to meditate on scripture. You might say meditate, isn't that kind of like New Agey, is that kind of like a different religion? Well, Psalm 1 actually tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, look at this, he meditates day and night. God's word should constantly be on your mind. And this is the outcome. Psalm 1 Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Jesus later on in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, you know this if you've been in church for any amount of time, if you've been in kids' ministry, maybe you sang this as a little kid too. Look at this. Everyone who hears the words of the Lord of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. How many people have a song going on in their head right now? The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Build your life on God's word, the rock, Jesus Christ, and you will not falter in a storm. But if you don't, this is what God's word says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, here's what I I want to uh, make very clear here before we move on. You can get in an argument with someone about God's word and you could be 100% right and say it in 100% the wrong way. Right? I mean, you can, I mean, if someone's just off base and you read scripture, uh, you can demolish them in an argument. And it can feel so good. And you can be, not only, not only are you wrong, man, this is what God's word says. You're not only wrong, you're stupid. I can't believe you would even say that. And listen, that, that's going about it the wrong way. Listen, look at what Galatians chapter 6 1 tells us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, look at this. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of. Harshness and a spirit of winning an argument? No, of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves lest you be tempted. 
Remember this, that it is God's kindness, Romans 2, 4 will tell us, that leads us to repentance. And so what are you to do if you have a disagreement with someone? If someone's just out to lunch on their theology and you're like, that's not what the Bible says here. Listen, be gentle and be reasonable towards them. Philippians uh, 4, 5 tells us, let our reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I believe if you have reasonableness in 2023, you have a superpower, all right? You are the new Tony Stark. You are Iron Man. You have an amazing superpower because there's not very many reasonable people out there today, right? I mean, just think about it. Christians or non-Christians alike, there's just not many reasonable people out there. Be reasonable. Abide by God's word in all that you do. Because here's what the enemy is going to do for you. He, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that. He's like a prowling lion. He's looking for someone to devour. And what the enemy will try and do is he'll try and give you some counterfeit truths or some half-truths that may sound kind of like a Christian concept. And they'll even sound good from a secular mindset as well. And so you might be real tempted to say, oh, well, that sounds really good. Uh, that sounds nice. Sounds like everyone would agree with that. Everyone's on board with it. Let's just believe that. And that's what the enemy wants you to do because remember, Jesus and God's Word are tied together. They're one and the same, John 1 tells us. The Word became flesh. Jesus dwelt among us. And so what he's doing is when he pulls you away from God's Word, he's also pulling you away from Jesus. He's pulling you away and he's saying, I don't want you to have that relationship with Christ. I want to pull you away from him to do evil. And sometimes the enemy's going to make evil look so nice and so loving and so kind and so, oh, this is so great and I can't believe anyone would disagree with it. But if that's not what God's Word says, we can't go with it. And we have to say, this is what Scripture says. This is what we're going to go with. Again, we're going to be reasonable. We're going to be kind. We're going to be loving towards people. But we're going to base our beliefs off of God's Word and God's Word alone because God's Word is Christ. They're one in the same so we believe that this is God's word, it's perfect, and that we're just going to base our lives off of it. I know that was a lot. I'm going to fly through these couple of next points, okay? So later on, Micaiah, he says, hey, listen, uh, this is after he delivers uh, his message to King Ahab. He says, all right, if you return the, uh, to, in, in peace here, because uh, Ahab has said, hey, listen, put him back in jail, uh, feed him scraps until I get bit back, basically just enough to survive, uh, throw him in jail, and uh, when I get back, I'll deal with him. And so he says, oh, if you, if you get back, if you return in peace, the Lord's not spoken by me. And he said, hey, listen, hear everybody, you heard what I said. This is why I love Micaiah. He's so bold, but not bold on a haughty way, in a big-headed way. He's bold for God's word, and he says, this is what God's word says, and I'm going to stand by it. And this is one of the saddest verses I think we have in this whole story, in the whole story of Ahab. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth Gilead. They turned away from the word of the Lord. They did what was evil, what, they, what God did not want them to do. Listen, this is a way that the enemy can get us away from God. And this is what we learn. Our repeated denial, Ahab repeatedly denied God's leading, the Holy Spirit's leading in his life. He says, look at this, our repeated denial of God's leading will lead to God handing us over to our evil desires. Again, I know that sounds really harsh when you say it and when you write that out and you're like, 
Woo, Brian, what a good feeling message this morning, huh? Way to go, Pastor Josh. I know that's hard to hear, but listen, Scripture over and over and over again has example and example and example of people who are pursuing their evil, selfish desires, and God says, hey, listen, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. I'm giving you free will. Romans 1.28 says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. Psalm 81, referring to Israel, said, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. Look at this. 2 Thessalonians says it too. The coming of the lawless one is uh, by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Look at this. Because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. It's not because they didn't know it, it's because they refused it. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen, we have to, if, if the Holy Spirit is leading, you have to follow that. Again, test that. Say, is this biblical? Sometimes we believe that the Holy Spirit's leading us to do things and we can be wrong. We can be interpreting that wrong. We have to base that off of Scripture and say, is that, is that coherent with God's Word? But if it is, we have to do it. And when you get God's leading again and again and again, and you turn away again and again and again, you say, no, 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 no. What can happen is your heart can become calloused over time. And you can become hard-hearted. And so the Holy Spirit can lead and He can lead and He can lead. But you won't hear Him. James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is a sin. There may be things that God is calling you to do. And if you know that God's calling you to do it and you don't do it for you, it's a sin. And you might be saying, man, am I in that position right now? Am I like King Ahab? Have I turned away again and again and again? And has my heart become calloused and hardened towards the Holy Spirit's leading. If you're asking that question, uh, chances are no, the answer is no, and that you can come back from that even if you have denied God's leading uh, for uh, a number of times. And you can come back from that, just like David did. David's a good king in Israel, but he has some downsides, just like Jehoshaphat does. He commits adultery and then murders the woman's husband. It's pretty brutal what he does. And there's a prophet named Nathan, and he says, listen, you've sinned here. He comes to him and he just spells it right out. And David says, I've sinned against the Lord. Listen, we can have that same response, this humble response to say, I've sinned and I need Jesus Christ in my life to forgive me. If you remember a couple chapters ago in chapter 21, it says that Ahab heard the words of Elijah from the Lord and he tears his clothes off and he humbles himself. He put sackcloth on and he, he fasted and he laid and he went about dejectedly. What King Ahab does not do, though, is repent. He never says once, I've sinned and I need to turn back to the Lord. I made a mistake. Look at these two men's hearts, David versus Ahab. David says, I repent, I sinned, I turn away from these things. Ahab says, I messed up, and that's it. And he goes about dejectedly. If you go on and repeatedly and time and time again, 
do not listen to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, your heart will become hardened and calloused. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants for you to turn away from the Lord, just like Ahab did. One more thing, I want to point this out really quickly here. Uh, King Ahab wants to disguise himself, so he knows already uh, this battle is not going to be good for him. He knows already this is not great for him. And so he says, he comes up with this great plan. He's going to disguise himself. Jehoshaphat, I don't know what he's doing here. He's just out to lunch. He, is, he says, hey, you wear your robes. I'm going to disguise myself. And Jehoshaphat says, okay. Right? I mean, you're like, dude, what, are you serious? Do you not have like two brain cells to run together? Like, you know, they're going to be like, you have a huge target on your back. That's exactly what happens. And the king of Syria, he says, hey, just go after the king of Israel. And they're all going after Jehoshaphat. And then Jehoshaphat cries out, and they figure out, oh, huh, he's not the king of Israel. He's not the guy we're looking for. We, ha- we better go after him. And they can't find him. However, look at this. God's word cannot be thwarted. God told him, this is not going to turn out well for you. You're not going to return in peace. You're going to die on the battlefield. And he does everything he can, everything he can to escape God's word here. And look at verse 34. If you don't believe there's humor in the Bible, man, read verse 34. This is just funny. It says, but a certain man, we don't even know who the guy is. I kind of think he's like probably like a 15-year-old kid they brought out to battle, and he's like overzealous, and he's just shooting arrows at random. He's like, dude, look how fast I can shoot. This is great. It says, a certain man drew his bow, and at random, I don't believe it's truly at random, though, because this is the Lord sovereign over all, including the random, struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. And therefore he said to the driver of the chariot, turn around, carry me out of battle, for I am wounded. A spare, a random arrow flying shot him in the perfect place to kill him. You cannot scheme around God's will. No amount of scheming can skirt you around God's sovereign will. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if I just do it a certain way, if I, if I, if I, maybe if I say things in a certain way, if I do things in a certain way, uh, then you know what? Uh, I know God's word says this isn't going to work out for me, but I'm smarter than God. I'm going to make this work out for me. It didn't work for Ahab. It's not going to work for you either. It doesn't work for us when we think, man, I can, I can, I can figure out a way, and I know God's word says this, but I, I can figure out a way around it. Listen, there's no way around it. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will reap. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. He is a sovereign God over all. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We talked about Job's story earlier, and at the end, Job says this, I know that you can do all things, referring to God, you could do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And here's the really good news, that for those who love God, this is not for everyone on earth, this is a principle only for those who love God. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you love Jesus, it doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you, but it does mean those things are going to work out for your good. And you may not always understand how these things are going to work out. You put your faith in Jesus and you say, I believe you will work all things out for my good, no matter what. It happened for a guy named, uh, or a guy, a guy named Joseph in the book of Genesis. 
His brothers sold him into slavery, and uh, he got accused of, uh, of seducing a woman. He gets thrown in jail. I mean, this dude, man, he gets really thrown into the bottom. Really bad things happen to this guy. But it works out for him in the end. And he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's working this out, so don't try and skirt around His good and sovereign will. No amount of skirting, no amount of scheming can get you and thwart you from God's Word. It's not going to work. Base your life off of God's Word. One more verse I want to point out as we close today. And it's kind of a troubling verse. It's verse 37. It says this, So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. That's all fine and good, but look at what happens next. It says, They washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word that he had spoken. You might say, Josh, we're, we're ending the sermon here. We're, I'm about to go eat lunch. Why would you bring this up? This is disgusting. Why? There's a very important principle that we see here. Look at what's happening. Remember a couple chapters back, uh, Ahab made a deal with the king of Samaria. He made this deal with the king of Samaria, and it was his downfall. He shouldn't have done it. God told him not to do it, and he did it anyways. And so Elijah comes to him, and he says, the dogs are going to lick up your blood because of this. You are going to end in utter destruction. This fulfills what Elijah said, what the Lord said through Elijah to King Ahab. You might say, okay, I, I get that about the, the dogs licking it up. And man, King Ahab, I, I get it. Elijah said it would happen at a certain place. He, he had a big head about going out to remote Gilead. They brought the chariot back. The blood's licking up. I, I get that. What's going on with this next part? The prostitutes wash themselves in it. What a weird detail to add here. And there's a lot of debate. Scholars have debated, okay, what's the meaning behind this? What's going on? Here's the best explanation that I have for you. There's an evil king, this King Ahab, he dies. And there are evil people, people who have denied God's word, that do things against what the Lord tells them to do, these prostitutes, who are washed in his blood. However, when we follow God's word, we trust in Jesus and we believe that Jesus died for our sins. And this is what the Bible tells us about Jesus's blood. 1 John 1 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And look at this, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When the devil has you and he leads you astray, he leads you to be washed in the blood of evil, perverted people. And when you recognize that, and you turn away from that, and you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. His blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You see, the enemy, he wants you to fall into the trap. He wants you to fall into his trap to lead you astray from Jesus. And Jesus says, it's only my blood. I've given it all to you, and it's a free gift. The free gift of my life, my death, my resurrection from the cross and the grave. I give it to you, and it cleanses us from all unrighteous, unrighteousness. It's a picture 
of what Jesus can save us from, I believe, is verse 38. And for you, you might look at this and you may say, man, I feel like King Ahab today. I've walked away and uh, my heart is hardened and I need to turn away from that. If that's you today, I have really good news. Because if you're thinking that, you're not too far gone. Jesus has a plan for you. Ephesians 2 tells us that he has works created for you beforehand and that he wants you to walk in those works and he wants you to do amazing things for his kingdom. And today you may be here and you might be saying, I feel kind of like Micaiah. There are a lot of people who in my life, man, and they're telling me I need to go a certain way and I, man, I, I need to, to believe a certain thing. I need to say certain things. And I know that's not what God has for me. I know that's not what God's word says. I know that's wrong. I know that's evil. And you may be saying, man, what do I do? You do exactly what Micaiah said. I will only speak what God has for me. I will build my life. I will abide by God's word. I will build my life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you do that, you will not be shaken. You will not be torn down. doesn't mean the storms aren't coming. They're coming, let me tell you. But let me, let me tell you this too. You're gonna, your foundation is going to stand if it is on Jesus Christ and His Word. You will not falter. It may not be easy. It may be really difficult. But you will not falter. Don't build your house upon the sand. Don't build your life because of popular opinion. Don't build your life off of secular reasoning. Don't build your life off of, well, this is the spectrum and I need to fall in the middle of it. Build your life on Jesus and Jesus alone. It's Christ and it's Christ alone in our lives. And that's what it should be. We should be building our life on Him and not pulled astray by the tactics of the enemy. Listen, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, enemy's not joking around. He's prowling around like a lion and he's trying to devour you. He's trying to pull you away from Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you just have to abide in me. Like John 15 that we heard about last week from Larry. He says, hey, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Listen, that's how we are to live our lives. Abiding in Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus. Help us to abide our lives in you to base our lives, our beliefs on what you've already said. Your word, your good, your perfect, your authoritative word in our lives. Don't let us be like King Ahab who turned away constantly, who heard the word of the Lord and did whatever he wanted anyways. Jesus, would you help us to live our lives according to you, according to what you have written according to the way that you lived your life and taught us to do the same. Help us to know you. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to do everything that we do to glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.